This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 24 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And uh, Max is currently lost in probably the Bermuda Triangle or something along those lines. At this point, I'm pretty sure Section 31 has him. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll do an investigation and we'll be able to get our cameras into some place that no one's ever been and <laughs> and see if we might be able to find him. Yes, in search of Max. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. <laughs> uh, but this week is part three in our series on Leonard Nimoy as a television star, where we're going to be looking at his fourth television series, In Search Of. Now, this is a bit different from the other shows which we've discussed in that it's not a performance per se. He's the host of a show. Next week, same deal. But uh, the, the show which he hosted was In Search Of, which aired from 1976 to 1982. And John, can you describe uh, In Search Of for those people who may not know what it is? I sure can. In Search Of was a brilliant show uh, that was a, 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 an exploration of every crackpot theory that uh, was needed to fill syndication time on a lazy Saturday afternoon. Yes. Yes. It's, it's uh, would you say, a docu-series? <laughs> uh, it's, sort of like an, it's sort of like an early Oliver Stone take on reality. So, yeah, okay. In, in a sense, yeah, yeah. Yeah, docudrama. Right, where it uh, investigates the mysteries of the world, you know? Yes, with, with uh, brilliantly performed recreations oh, of yeah. historical circumstances. Yeah, this is kind of like Leonard Nimoy's Rescue 911. Oh my gosh, you're right. Once again, Nimoy beat him to the punch. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yep, yep. Uh, but this one's a little more... Uh, mm, out there, I guess. If if uh, Rescue Nine One One is sort of like the ER of uh, infotainment or whatever they would call it, <laughs> yeah, um, In Search of is the X Files of infotainment. I would say. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, now, Nimoy hosted this, and and and. Uh, like you were saying, there are a lot of recreations and stuff like that. But uh, like the, the way a typical episode would go is that they'd say like, um, you know, the Loch Ness monster. You know, for years people have wondered what is going on out there. Well, now new evidence has come to light, and our cameras have gone somewhere where no <laughs> cameras have gone before, and we are going to you know figure out or or try to figure out. What's going on? And then they talk to a lot of people who yeah. have the inside track. Lots of times there's blurred out faces or whatever to protect these people from the government who's going to, yeah. you know, do whatever they're going to do to them. 
And, you know, for the most part, it seems like it's just narrated by Nimoy. And then there might be one or two shots of him at some place, like, you know, getting out of a truck or something like that and saying, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is where it happened. This yes. is where it happened. Yeah, uh, like like uh, coming back from the breaks or something like that, just to establish yeah. that he actually um, was there for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and didn't just do the entire thing from his house. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah, they talk to all these people and everything. It's not Nimoy talking to them. It's some other person talking to them, you know? Yeah, off, but off but mic. they're yeah they're off mic, and, and so it's always some sort of snippet, like, like watching one of the... You know what? It... It sort of uh, is reminiscent of. Do you remember a current affair? Yeah, I was just thinking the same yeah. thing. Yeah, it, sort of, sort of like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. It, I mean, what, what do you, what do you think about the show? Well, I have a tremendous nostalgic attachment to it because it was on syndication, and um, there were many a Saturday where it, it was that time in between what happened in the morning and what happened in the evening. Mm. Most people call it afternoon. I just called it dead time. And uh, you desperately searched through television looking for something. There were so many fewer channels and shows back then, kids. It was crazy. And, uh, I I mean, the thing is, it was like an oasis. It, It really still kind of is from that nostalgic perspective because it's so much fun to get back into that spirit. Like, going back and rewatching some episodes for this, I was able to plug back into that sense of wonder that was so much easier, I guess, for me as a kid. But I think that in general, before the internet sort of drained the life out of knowledge, like the the fun part of knowledge seeking, it really has. It's become too cold, I guess. Like these shows were great because it was they were they were purely speculative and it was it was, you know, here's a scientician who thinks that the Loch Ness monster might have come from another planet. And it's like, oh, I don't really believe that. But this is fun. It's like telling campfire stories. Yeah, it it, it is. It is strange. You know, I, I had never really seen it uh, up until now. I had heard of it for sure. Um, but I had never, I was like familiar with what it was, but I had never sat down to, to watch it, but I have seen shows like this. And, uh, when watching it, I, I, I sort of instantly got the impression that I knew exactly how this show went, you know, on a regular basis. And, um, you know, it, it felt very familiar to me, even though I hadn't actually seen this show itself, um, whether or not this was the first of its kind or, or somewhere in the middle, I'm not 100% positive, but uh, um, it doesn't really matter, I guess. Uh, the, the thing about it is it's like you watch these things. Like like one of the episodes that I watched was, I think, probably the, the most popular episode of the show or one of the most popular based on what I was reading, and that's the episode on UFO cover-ups. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you see these people and they're talking about you know, what the weather balloon really was and how, you know, their dad was there working on the the Air Force base or whatever it was and, and all this other stuff. And these people have these supposedly, you know, really, really solid credentials. And you hear them say what they have to say. 
And what they have to say isn't really much, you know? There's yeah. not really a lot of info there, but they're considered to be experts. And the way that they talk, they have so much um, uh, sort of belief in what they're saying yeah. that I watch it and I think, like, this must be true. Because how could they make this up? They're obviously, like, the details are so small and so um, uh, uh, exact yeah. that there's no way that these guys are not telling the truth. And what does that mean? I mean, like, I came out of that episode thinking, like, there really were aliens that crash-landed in Roswell and, and all this stuff. Tommy and, Lee Jones was there. You've seen the pictures. Yeah. I don't know what it is about, about you know, my rational thought when I'm watching these things, but it just sort of goes right out the window. And then as soon as the credits roll, I take a step back and I'm like, wait a minute. No, no. What they're saying, they're not really saying anything, you know? I have a theory okay. that the synthesizer music is done at just the right frequency to disable your rational thought while you're watching. Oh, that could be. That could be. That makes because sense. Because that synthesizer music is hypnotic. You yeah. can't walk away from that stuff. And it's like I would love to have it playing in the background anytime I have a meeting at work. Mm -hmm. Just because everybody will just listen to everything I have to say and then I can just walk out of the room. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where like, I don't know. I mean, part of it is just the manipulation. I mean, you, you, you brought up Oliver Stone earlier. Um, yeah. And... You know, I, I remember being in film school and uh, someone, or I had a teacher who was talking about JFK and he was trying to show us how, you know, like the editing in that movie uh, sort of reinforces uh, the the thinking of, of, of revelation when in reality they're not really saying anything, you know? And mm -hmm. like they, they, they pointed out to, to a scene between Kevin Costner and... Uh, Donald Sutherland, where, you know, the, the guy, I forget his, the investigator's name, um, the DA's name, but he's, he's talking to Mr. X, right? And, um, oh, Jim Garrison. Sorry. Jim That's Garrison. who he was playing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Jim Garrison. He's talking to Mr. X and, you know, he's like, I've got information for you, Garrison. And, and, and Garrison's like, what is it? And he's like, no one is asking the right questions. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And Garrison's like writing down this information like, yeah, 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 yeah. But he's not giving any information. He's just asking questions in a compelling fashion, you know? Yep. And it's like, that's kind of what's going on here. Like there's a scene in that UFO cover-up thing where they're like, we're going to get to go into the vault in like room 19 or something like that, which no one has ever been in before. And they keep on like showing a shot of like a door and I guess they go in. I don't remember them being in, but they're like, it does have uh air conditioned units, which everyone assumed was used for storing, storing bodies, you know? Yep. And then they talk to like some dude who works at the base and he's like, Oh yeah, they use that to cool down engines to like super cold temperatures so that they can test them out, uh, st starting them up, you know, from a cold start or something like that. And it's like, that's a completely reasonable explanation for why Isn't they have big just, refrigerating. Yeah. <laughs> just makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. But, and, and it's like, that's all that they have, you know, like they talk to these guys and they're like, well, I saw this thing, you know? Okay. Yeah. 
all right, well, what does that mean? Where's your evidence? Evidence, you know, you know, I talked to a guy and he said he saw this thing. And it's like, you're not saying anything, really. You're not. And who's to say that that guy's not telling the truth or telling the truth or whatever? Yeah, but but see, this is really, I think, I think you hit on it where truth isn't necessarily um, the right word. It's belief. The people that are talking are convinced that what they're telling you is true. Yeah. That's what makes them compelling. So it, it in truth never really enters into it. It's simply a it's simply one possible explanation as they say in the credits. They're not trying to say it's the only explanation, just one of many. <laughs> that's what they say in the credits, but I think that's just to cover their own butts. I don't know. <laughs> I have um, a feeling that the legal team saw the first episode and went, "Oh, whoa, whoa, hold on, guys. We got to put something in front here." Yeah. It it is like I've been trying to think of what it's like, but what you, what you were saying right there, it, it's. Did you see Room Two Thirty Seven, the documentary oh, about the Shining? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> Those people are bat s crazy. Yeah, and and that's one of the things. Like Max is a huge fan of that movie, and his whole thing is like, you gotta watch it because these people are all freaking insane. <laughs> you know, are, it's so great. He's like, I wish. I wish that what they were saying made even the slightest bit of sense because it would be amazing if it were true, you know? (laughs) Wouldn't it just, wouldn't it just be amazing? It's, uh, yeah, that's actually, that's a good poll. Room to room 237 is extremely, uh, apropos to cite, uh, for, for something like this. And I actually, just while we're talking, I think you're right. You said it doesn't matter whether In Search Of was the very first show of its type. I think that it still spawned all of the imitators that we came to see later, including uh, Hollywood Babylon with Tony Curtis, which <laughs> oh, was the most fascinating. <laughs> it was the most fascinatingly awful conspiracy show ever. Okay, I hadn't heard of that one. I was thinking of oh, Hollywood oh. Babylon with Kevin Smith and Ralph no, Carmen. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hollywood Babylon with Tony Curtis. Do yourself a favor and find a copy of it and watch it. And it's just my buddy Joey and I used to just make merciless fun of it because it was just it was so obviously just a cash grab for him, you know, to stay wow. afloat. I ne- I never knew the reason why that podcast was titled that way and yeah. now i know wow you learn something new every day there you go or was it i guess we'll never know <laughs> in Beast search of was... why kevin smith called it that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean it, it is kind of like i really see it as in addition to being sort of like um uh a, a forebearer of these shows or whatever i also see it as being sort of like um I mean, like like I mentioned before, kind of like a precursor to the X-Files. Yeah. Like, while I was watching this thing on the UFO cover-ups and everything, I'm like, this is structured and everything very similarly to the way an episode of the X-Files is structured, only that's clearly fiction. But But even, like, the way that the X-Files ends is always like... Is this the truth? Did this happen? We don't know. You know, that kind of thing. The so truth it is, is out it, there. The truth is out there, exactly. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I guarantee you Chris Carter watched a ton of In oh. Search Of. Yeah, well, wasn't uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker? Wasn't that contemporary with uh, In Search Of? It had to have been, yeah. Yeah, late 70s. Mm-hmm. So uh, And so basically, 
yeah, there's no doubt that Chris Carter was bored on a Saturday afternoon just the same way we were. <laughs> and and even even like sort of the the range of topics which the X Files deals with seems to be similar to the range of topics that um uh, in search of deals with. You've got the UFO stuff, you've got the government conspiracies, but then you've also got things like the Loch Ness monster and, and that yeah. sort of thing. You know, and weird natural phenomena that, that, that don't make any sense. You know? Although although I will say that uh, since Nimoy was the host, I was surprised to revisit the Jack the Ripper episode and uh, not have him forward the uh, plot from the original <laughs> series and say, no, no, guys, we figured it out. He was an evil spirit. Yeah, it, it's it, it's strange. I mean, getting on that for just a second there, uh, you know, Wolf in the Fold, we, we, we talked to a guy very early on in this series um, who owns a bookstore uh, in town. Uh, which focuses on just history and mystery. And he is a uh, um, semi-famous ripperologist, as they call them. And I I was unaware that Robert Block, who wrote Wolf in the Fold, um, and who also, you know, wrote Psycho, the novel Psycho, he is apparently really big into Jack the Ripper stuff and has actually written a number of books about Jack the Ripper. Oh, Wow, I'm going to put that on my reading list. I didn't yeah, know that. It's very strange, but um cool. But regardless of that, yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things where it's like um I mean, speaking of 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 Leonard Nimoy being in this and kind of segueing into that, his involvement in this show seems rather strange for a couple of reasons. I mean, well, first mm-hmm. off, what 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 do you think about his shall we call it performance in in this show? He's an MC uh-huh. more than a host. He he he's the one he comes out with the flourish and presents the next crazy act for you and he do, he does it with a real relish. Like and you know the same professionalism that you come to expect from Leonard Nimoy and everything but honestly it, he's really there because of the paycheck. I mean it's like I I really think somebody like Leonard Nimoy just eventually got to a point where he was like, yeah, okay, this is fine. Sure. All right. <laughs> it it really does sort of seem like that. I mean, given the time period and everything, you got to figure this is in between the original series and the movies. So it was right when he was probably needing that paycheck. It was before yeah. all those contracts were renegotiated and stuff like that. So he probably was in search of money and um this seemed like a, a good fit now i can understand why they would want him because he's oh, yeah. a science fiction icon and everything like that and also you know as spock you know he his voice sort of lends credibility to whatever is being said you know yeah yeah he he brings that that sense of uh believability that instantly gets transferred it's sort of like I've always reasoned out, for instance, that like Brian Cranston was perfect casting for Breaking Bad because we all already had him in mind as a father mm-hmm. figure from Malcolm in the Middle. So it was perfect to carry him over and he was able to pull that off. So it's perfect to carry over, you know, a, a guy who was essentially the embodiment of serious, thoughtful science fiction and put him in front of this because you immediately hear his voice and it it triggers that thing in your brain that's like, oh, well, okay, well, I'll listen to you. What, what are you talking about? And so, yeah, I, I think it, it definitely immediately gives credibility to the show. 
Yeah, but now on the flip side of that, you know, what about it from his perspective? Now, I mean, yes, I understand that we all need to work and we all need to pay the bills, but his involvement in this movie or this show seems really weird because going back to the original series and, and even the thing that we talked about with the animated series and how he, you know, stuck his neck out for the other people and looking at all of the stuff which he's done since then, which obviously is a bit different because he's got enough money and, and clout where he can sort of do what he wants. But yeah. he always seems to be the guy who's pushing the content forward. The guy who's saying like, now, now, you know, let's not just do this because we're doing it. Let's actually do it right. And for him to sort of agree to do something like this seems a little weird because it doesn't seem like he would really buy into these theories. I could see him saying like, oh, yeah, well, these are good questions to ask. But the way that the show is presented is much more sensational. And I really can't... um reconcile the fact that he would be involved with something like this i can easily yeah, yeah okay. you know what because mindsets were different I, I i really do think this is this is very much the asking a question even an outlandish question was not there there wasn't this knee-jerk pile-on attack mentality back then mm-hmm. um and i I'm, I'm not sitting here pining for yesteryear or anything like that but people were willing to sort of be, I, I just, I remember, well, okay, here's a, here's a contextual cue, is Chariots of the Gods was big back then. Yeah. And that, I think, is your toehold for why a show like this, where even somebody who likes to approach things from a more intellectual standpoint, Chariots of the Gods, which is a complete work of asshattery, like that was enough in the cultural zeitgeist. You're in the middle of the space race. You're in the middle of a need. I mean, the Cold War, was, especially in the 70s, was a freaky, freaky thing. So to sit there and ask these questions that were any sort of mental escape at all, to give you an exercise to think about something seriously. Like at the end of In Search Of, sure, they present it sensationally, But hopefully you could watch it with your family and you guys could have a discussion about it afterward. It was basically discussion television. Mm -hmm. And so it had it had entertainment value outside of its running time. And I think that that in and of itself would have brought somebody like Nimoy to the fold to say, you know what, we're going to give people a reason to sit around and talk and think. You know, so so what if the show is a little sensational? Maybe there's a positive side to come out of that. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I mean, I guess I could see that more than, um, you know, something like, let's say, Rescue 911 or, or something along those lines. Um, and yet, and just just for the record or whatever, I was just reading on IMDb that uh, apparently this show was kind of a, a spinoff of two documentaries that they did on TV called In Search of Ancient Astronauts which was ah. obviously based on the chariots of the gods and and in search of ancient mysteries. So there you go. Um I don't really know if Nimoy was involved with either of those things, but uh yeah. Um but yeah, okay, I guess not because it says here Robert Vaughn narrated the pilot episode but declined to host the series. Rod Serling, Serling 
narrated the initial television specials, but died before the regular series began. So there you go. Oh, interesting. So Nimoy becomes his successor. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I could then you know what? Knowing that now, I could easily see Nimoy approaching this from that sort of Twilight Zone mentality of here's an opportunity to do something that is again thought provoking. Yeah. The way Twilight Zone was. It doesn't matter if it's fiction or not. Mm-hmm. It's going to get people talking. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, it just still seems a little, a little strange. I don't know. Knowing it now, I mean, like, I think that if the show were to be made now, he would not be involved. But then again, maybe that will be proven wrong next week. I don't know. <laughs> if if it were made now, maybe Shatner would be the host. Oh, yeah. Shatner would definitely do it. <laughs> There's, I have no doubt in my mind that Shatner would do it. Yeah, for sure. It probably hurt him a little bit that they didn't ask him. Yes, yes, that's true. So, um, any uh, final thoughts on In Search Of? It's a joy. And I, I, God bless everybody that put it on YouTube. And, you know, uh, you know what? Do yourselves a favor, everybody. I'm going to specifically call out the Jack the Ripper episode because it was so much fun to watch it with all of the videotape flaws <laughs> on it. Like, I, wow, that's like, that's like listening to an old scritchy record on vinyl. Yeah. And you just, you hear those pops and those hisses and you, you remember the tracking problems and having to get up and adjust your VCR and everything. It, it really transports you to yesteryear. Yeah, I, I need to uh, watch that Jack the Ripper episode. There were so many, like that and the Marilyn yeah. Monroe episode and stuff like that, where I was like, oh, you know, I just didn't have the time to, to watch all of them. So, Well, be sure to catch Siberian Fireball as well. That's a fun one. <laughs> okay, yeah, I missed that when I was skimming through the titles, but oh, yeah. well. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for me, I... I I mean, it, it's definitely entertaining. You know, you can definitely watch it and not be bored, especially since they're so short and everything like that. But, you know, yeah. after I'm done with it, I'm kind of like, uh, that was kind of crap, you know. So it's popcorn television. I guess that's true. I guess that's what it was. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. Once in a while. Yeah. Um, one one other thing, which I didn't realize until like I, we started putting this series together and everything like that, I just now came to the realization that <laughs> NERD's first album is named after this show. It's called In Search Of, and you know they're obviously really into Leonard Nimoy and everything. The name of yeah. the their production company is Star Tracks, and their their little um. Uh, company uh, hand gesture is a modified Vulcan salute. Yeah. There's you can find an interview online of Pharrell Williams where he interviews Leonard Nimoy, and it's awesome. Uh, have you seen that? I haven't seen it. I've seen the picture of them where you can tell that like he's just having a, a complete geek out fanboy moment where he's like, "I'm meeting Leonard Nimoy." Yeah, it's so yeah. it's it's. I mean, it's a pretty good interview and everything. Um, it's just so weird because Pharrell is just like. You could tell he's just like completely tongue-tied and starstruck, and he just doesn't know what to do with himself, you know, because yeah. he's talking to Leonard Nimoy. But I'll yeah, have to I, look that up. But I never, I never once put together the fact that they named their first album after Leonard Nimoy's weird, crazy infotainment show. And it's a great album too. It's now a they very need, great album. Now they need to release an album called Commentary Trek Stars because we're go. the ones that piece it together. We're <laughs> we're Ready Player One for NERD. 
Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we're the we're the we're the first people to piece that together. To, yeah. Uh, well, hey, I, I didn't hear it on any other recordings. Therefore, we are. All right, works for me. Works for me. Um, yeah. All right. Well, m- moving on to to some other kind of uh, Star Trek uh, creator related news. You know this this new movie. It's it's upon us, and there's a, been a few announcements or uh, revelations. Uh, about uh, who's working on it that I figured, you know, we could note. I mean, the big one, which I don't think we talked about, was Idris Elba. Um, he's apparently going to be the villain. Yeah, the that's... Uh, has that been 100% confirmed? Or is it just that he went in for, like, a screen test and somebody sort of leaked it? No, it, it was in Variety. Variety oh, okay. said he's in talks. And when Variety says you're in talks, that's pretty much means that's happening. So. Yeah, you're not you're not reading it on Latino Review. Right, exactly, and uh, you know when when I mean there was some speculation that this would be about Klingons and that he would be you know a, a Klingon, but Simon Pegg said that he's not a Klingon. But when asked if he was in the movie, he's like, "Yeah, I heard something about that. Yeah, you uh, know, I think he's going to be in it, but not as a Klingon." And then he's like, "Or maybe he will be. I don't know." <laughs> he said, "So you know, but so that's kind of cool." Oh, he's a fantastic actor. I, you know, it's. That they're bringing the talent, so good. And then they cast another person in in the movie. Uh, Sophia Butella is apparently going to have a major role. She played uh, Gazelle in Kingsman, who was the lady with the blades for legs or feet or whatever. Um, she was pretty cool in that movie. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I haven't had the opportunity. But I've heard uh, there's only one person I know that didn't like it. So that's a, you know, my own personal Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, that's about a solid 92%. That's good. Drew hated it. Drew from Standard Orbit. Well, he that makes two like people. So rot- <laughs> my personal Rotten Tomatoes has now gone down to 86.5%. <laughs> Way to ruin it for me, Mike. Oh, well, sorry. Well, I I, th- I think it's probably the best movie of the year so far. You know? Oh, wow. The, okay. the, the only movie which I, I would say comes close to it, and I, I would probably go back and forth uh, on that, is... Uh, Furious 7, which is noteworthy because it looks like uh, a substantial amount of the crew from Furious 7 is going to be working on the new Star Trek movie, including the cinematographer, Stephen F. Winton, and, oh. and the uh, costume designer, Sa- Sanja, I think it's Sanja Milkovic Hayes, who okay. worked on Insurrection, by the way. It's oh, cool. I, well, the thing is, there was nothing wrong with how Insurrection looked, so... Okay, yeah. cool. There you go. Uh, but, you, you know, I'm always actually happy to hear uh, when a director is working with a cinematographer they've worked with before because there really is a shorthand that they can, you know, uh, speak to each other with. You you can tell when yeah. it's somebody's first time with someone. And uh, it, it, so that that's good news. And, you know, whatever anybody may think of, you know, the, the Furious franchise, they've they've looked good. Yeah, for sure. And and this guy he's shot he's shot every movie that Justin Lin has directed since uh Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift and oh, wow. uh, it, with the exception of um uh the Bruce Lee one, which is the name I, I finishing the game. The okay. Bruce Lee, the search for the new Bruce Lee, whatever it is. Okay. So, he didn't do that. He did everything else. Um so it makes sense that that he would just 
I mean, I'm I'm kind of waiting to see who he's going to get as his editors. Since I mean, those movies have fifteen thousand editors. I'm really <laughs> hoping Christian Wagner because that guy's amazing. He's edited some of the, the the best edited movies of all time. So how much how much would it bend your mind if the plot was uh, that the villain had to steal fifty of the uh, fifty Starfleet shuttles and Kirk was trying to stop him from doing it and they had a big chase at the end oh, where man. they were racing Great. shuttles outside the back of the Enterprise <laughs> trying to steal them all. It was someone on, I think, the Babel Conference who who came up with the, uh, the title, <laughs> um, Star Trek Tachyon Drift. <laughs> I love oh, it, man. Yeah, they got they got to do that. Cut it, print it, and sell it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's it's good, and and you know, just in kind of in terms of like how this movie might look or whatever, you know, Justin Lin and and Stephen Winton are two guys who have made a ton of blockbusters in the past few years that have been in 2D and shot on film. So it, this could have a very uh, sort of classical look to it. Do we have... Considered. So we don't have any read yet on whether they're going to do any sort of IMAX sequences or anything like that? Has anything like that leaked yet? No, I kind of think they won't. I mean, for one thing, it would be pricey. Um, I mean, they might, but um, when, back when, when Orsi was directing it, they, they were going to shoot it digitally. I don't know if that's the case anymore or not. I'm guessing that they'll make it 3D, whether Lynn and company want it to be 3D or not. Because that's just, I mean, if they did that for JJ, they're going to do it for this one. You know? I, can't, I can't believe that's still a thing. I really it's weird. That's it's weird. Just, it's insane. It's just nobody's even... I think it's, it's I think it's mainly for the foreign markets, honestly. Like oh, really? there's There's a number of movies. Well, Furious 7 is one of them. Where they converted it to 3D just for overseas, just for like I think China. China is the big place. Uh, 3D is huge in China. Really? Like they converted Noah into 3D for China. Wow, it's weird. That is okay. Well, all right. I, yeah. I guess I guess that makes sense then. I mean, if you got to convert it anyway, why not go ahead? Yeah, they did the same thing with the last Hunger Games movie. And now the next Hunger Games movie is being converted because for for the U.S. as well, which is I don't know, I don't know how to feel about that, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's always a guessing game. Like any time, like a new movie comes out, I always like try to find interviews with the directors where it's like, "Do you want this to be in 3D, or did they force your hand? Did you have anything to do with it being in 3D?" <laughs> and it's really hard to figure that out because obviously. You're not going to get a bunch of people who are there to sell a movie, you know, saying like, don't see it in 3D, you know? Right. But whatever. Yes, that's that's very, oh, you know, I'd say Nolan's the one director that would yeah. be, like, if they tried to screw with him that way, he'd be like, oh, hell no. There, there's there's a few who have come out and been like, no, no. But some of them have been a little, you know, I mean, J.J., you know, at first he was like, they can do whatever they want with it as long as we shoot it in 2D. And then he kind of softened, and he's like, we saw some sequences, and we're like, this looks pretty cool. I'm kind of... But then you hear a few little things, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he likes the 3D. I really don't think he cares. Yeah, it's you just know? somebody pointed to the uh, clause in his contract. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, now nah, what can you do? Yeah. So, we'll see. We'll see with this one, whether or not it'll be 3D, or whether or not we should watch it in 3D. I don't know. So it's exciting, exciting times for for the new Star Trek movie and and the creators involved and 
all that good stuff. Yeah. yeah. One other thing I just want to mention in regards to uh, uh, Thomas and and our Deep Space Nine recommendations. Ah, yes. I sent him an email about this, but just for the record, there are three episodes, or I guess technically four episodes, that I thought of where I was like, you know, we should have said this because they're perfect. The number one one, for sure, is the Maquis parts one and two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Because even if he doesn't like Deep Space Nine, the whole point of that two-parter was to set up Voyager. So he's getting Voyager backstory at the very least. But in addition to that, I really think that that two-parter is one of the first instances of Deep Space Nine finding its voice um, that it would have for the next, you know, four years or five years or whatever it was. You know? Good point. Good I mean, point. that's that's the one where, you know, they flat out say, like, you know, uh, you know, for the Federation is a paradise and it's easy to be an angel in paradise, you know, and and they took that line and, and ran with it for the next six years and, and made the show into what it was. Yeah. So that that I think, if you want a good sense of what Deep Space Nine is, but you also want a nice in for you know your Voyager thing, then that's that's that. But two other episodes which I thought of, which might be good if you're a TOS fan, just for fun more than anything else, are um, Blood Oath, where you get the three Klingons, Kor, King, and Koloth. Oh yes, you yes. Know? Blood Oath is yes. You're I for, I forgot the show title, but yes, that is that is an amazing episode. It's pretty cool. I mean, it doesn't yeah. really have much to do with the rest of DS Nine, but just to see these these three dudes together again, you know, yeah. same actors and everything. I mean, an original series fan should love it, you know. And the other one that I would say is crossover, the first Mirror Universe episode, just because. I mean, I think that's well, a great episode on its own, but also, like, it answers the question of what happened when Spock tried to change things in the Mirror Universe. You're right. It does. And I also am a big fan of Mirror Universe Kira. Yeah. So, yeah. that's, you know, so, that's so just d- me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so definitely check those three out as well, Thomas, or those four. So, yeah. That's and thank you for listening. And thank you for listening, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about In Search Of today, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Not an overstatement, and you had said in your introduction that without, without him and his hand guiding all of this, then then it's unlikely that two would have been what it was. And if it had not been successful, then it, it you know it probably would have meant the end of Star Trek at that point. Earl Grey, like I'm expecting Ricardo Martavon to like walk around the corner and be like Captain Picard, welcome. This is Rise of Five. The shuttlecraft. The shuttlecraft. The orb. Curzon is involved with the Kittimer yep. Accords. Spock is at Kittimer when those are being talked about, so you would think they would have run into each other They probably hung out in the bar together. To the journey! One guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out now! <laughs> the Ready Room. 
the movie series would not have relaunched and and become what it was if not for the amazing bounce of the Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan was to Star Trek the same thing that uh, the Best of Both Worlds was to Next Generation. Commentary: Trek stars. It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end. Literary Treks. Well, I've always liked the... Uh, I like that episode for... I mean, it's one of the most derided of the of the original series episodes, but yet I always it has a place in my heart for some reason. I've always enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it over. So um, I wanted to do something with those guys, the Scalbians. The 602 Club. Like, I, I could kind of dismiss droids in distress and fight or flight and everything like that and i was just kind of watching the background but all of a sudden i started catching myself like stopping working and <laughs> just focusing on watching and uh, and so it just got better and better and better and i think i was hooked by episode four breaking ranks that's when i was like okay i like this show this is good warp five in the history of axanar Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. One way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Uh, if, if, if you want to help us out uh, in other ways, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Just go to itunes.com slash trekfm and you can find all of our shows over there. And uh, you can uh, leave us um, a review, which would be helpful. We would appreciate it uh, a lot. Um, if you want to contact us, you can uh, fill out the form um, on trek.fm slash contact and leave us uh, an email that way. Uh, you can also leave us a voicemail. Just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and you can leave us a, a voicemail there. On Twitter, uh, you can contact us at uh, trek.fm. On Facebook, at facebook.com slash trek.fm and also on Facebook, you'll find the Babel Conference just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion tab on the menu bar. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. 
Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. So, John, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, you can find me on the Internet at Kessel Junkie on uh, the Twitter. And uh, you can also find me uh, co-hosting a show called Words with Nerds, also available through iTunes and Stitcher and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's my buddy Craig and myself uh, with deep thoughts about the uh, nerd and geek community. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find the show on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. And you can find me right here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with Drew, where we talk about the original series, or you can find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com with Max and Brandon, where we do Commentary TrackStars off-topic, where we talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. Yes. All right, so that's it for Leonard Nimoy's first uh, hosting gig on television. And we will be back next week to discuss the final television show which he starred in, which was another hosting gig, uh, Ancient Mysteries. Ancient Mysteries.